Well, good morning, church family. And uh, hey, thank you to all of the generations who helped lead us this morning in worship. Uh, it's, it's great uh, looking up into the choir and seeing uh, a few more faces, some younger ones up there. And I always love the, uh, the children, uh, hearing them sing with, with their faith, uh, with the faith of a child. And uh, Chris, I enjoyed that last song you, 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 you brought to us with the choir, um, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. I remember back in the Philippines, we used to say, where he leads me, I will follow, and what he feeds me, I will swallow. And I almost sung that out, but I, I remember that I had my wife, my loving wife sitting next to me, and uh, I didn't want to get kicked in the shin. Sometimes she keeps me on the straight and narrow. But family, family is such a blessing, and it's a joy and a, and a, and a privilege to worship together with our families, our, our, our spiritual family, but also our, our physical family. And, and I know this, this morning we, we want to remember that, that the generations that we have together uh, worshiping our, our Lord. And in our text this morning, we see Jesus explain more about His relationship with His heavenly Father. And for those who may be just joining us this morning, for the last um, number of months we've been going through the book of John, and last week we looked at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, in which Jesus demonstrated His divine authority by healing a lame man on the Sabbath. And as we see, as we're moving through John, we're going to see different responses to Christ, from belief to unbelief. And so, the unbelief of the Jewish religious leaders here was demonstrated as they criticized Jesus for doing this miracle of healing on their Sabbath day. And Jesus could have responded in several ways, as, as we looked at last week. He, he could have said, listen, as He did in other places, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He could have straightened about and said, hey, where in the Old Testament does it forbid acts of mercy? Or he could have just pointed to their own hypocrisy, as he did in other places, saying, listen, you guys would pull your ox out of a ditch, which would be quite uh, laborious, but you criticize me for healing an image bearer on the Sabbath. But instead of any of those things, what Jesus said to them uh, was, was quite simple and quite profound in verse 17. He said, my father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, he was saying, hey, guess what? Uh, what do you think God the Father is doing on the Sabbath? He's, he's upholding the universe, right? He's, he's healing your cuts on the Sabbath. The, the wounds that you inflict that God heals doesn't have to, God doesn't wait until the day after the Sabbath to start doing that work of healing, right? And he says, neither do I. I am working. <laughs> And, you know, their, their, their understanding of Jesus was absolutely correct. It's just their response was wrong. We, we read that in verse 18 of John 5, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. So that's what precedes this conversation, uh, this discourse from Jesus that we're going to look at this morning. And the first point that we're going to see that Jesus is making is that He has authority. Authority from the Father to the Son. And in these first five verses, Jesus shares four aspects of this authority that His Father has given Him. 
And the first aspect is what I'll just call doing. You might say, well, what does that mean? Doing. Well, well, listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Well, what is the father doing every day, every, every nanosecond of the day? Well, he's creating life and upholding the universe. And, and, and by the way, he didn't just create life in the beginning. Every little sprout, every, every birth of a deer out in the woods is the Lord's doing. He makes, he creates life. He upholds his creation. And God is the one who redeems souls, lost souls that he brings back to himself. That's what he's doing. And, and, and sometimes maybe we wonder about what God is doing in our lives, about those mysteries of providence. What is God doing behind the curtain right now? What are you doing, God, in my life right now, maybe through pain? And God shares those mysteries of providence that only He knows with His Son. So He continues, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. One pastor called this, two hearts beating as one. God the Father and God the Son. Pastor Matt Carter, reflecting on verse 19, wrote, Jesus is not the type A firstborn trying to outdo his dad and, and make it on his own. He's perfectly in sync with his father. He's not a second God come to steal the worship and adoration that belongs to the only true God. He is the true God. He and the Father are one. To worship God is to worship Jesus, and to worship Jesus is to worship God. And I just love this next verse. Uh, and I hope you'll, maybe if you don't remember anything else, <laughs> remember this next verse, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. We need to remember this. The, the Father loves the Son. Did He love His Son at Calvary? He did. Now let me, let me talk to you parents here. This is All Generation Sunday. Some of you parents I know have a lot on your plate. So you are busy providing and serving, and disciplining, in love, your kids. But you, you love them. Be, be sure today and, and this week to show your kids that you delight in them. I, I need that reminder. Do, do you delight in your children as a father delights, the father delights in the son? You know, this, this morning, I, I usually get up a little earlier on Sunday mornings and I was up around five this morning and, and um, you know, was working on my sermon. And what, what's kind of neat is, I, I'll, I'll, you know, as I kind of review stuff and tweak stuff, um, my, my office upstairs, uh, I walk right past my son and my, my daughter's rooms, and their doors are usually open, and I can kind of see them in there sleeping, you know? And so uh, I walked in my office, and I flipped the lights on, and suddenly Tim, who was, had crept in there and was sleeping on the couch, he, uh, he jumps up, and I was like, oh, sorry, Tim. And he says, oh, sorry, Dad. And, you know, he's half asleep, and he's kind of stumbling into his bedroom to go back to sleep, and he says, good luck on your sermon. You know, so I worked, I, you know, did some tweaking, some praying, and, um, and, and I, I um, about 6.30, I'm walking past Christine's room. And you parents who have younger kids, 
know that, you know, when they're asleep, they're especially adorable, right? Not saying we don't love them when they're during the day, but, uh, you know, my daughter, Christine, man, she's a, you know, she's a force of nature. She's moving, getting things done. Uh, but man, you know, that, that moment when she's in bed, you know, falling asleep or first thing waking up in the morning, um, man, she is just adorable. And I couldn't help myself, but I, I just kind of crept in there. She, she looked halfway, mostly asleep, and I just kissed her on the forehead and I said, Christine, you're my daughter and I delight in you. And I thought she was going to, you know, I thought she was asleep, but you know what I heard? I heard this little, Yay. I thought that was an awesome response. And she went back to sleep. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. You know, Jesus had already shown his power of healing, this power of God. Uh, And he had already healed the lame and he had he had, we read in, at the feast in Jerusalem, he had done signs, which I presume were, were healing. So he's shown his power of healing. And remember that all healing comes from God. But, but soon, and I think Jesus is talking about this now, Jesus is going to show his power over death itself by, by raising a dead man to life. And all would marvel. So in John 11, verse 41, we, we read the story of Jesus' raising Lazarus from the dead. Not just a sick man, but a dead man. Back to, to life. And so let's just look at the story here. Um, we'll just start at verse 41 of John 11. And this is after Christ had, had cried out to his father in prayer. And in verse 41, we read, So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out like a mummy. That wasn't in there, but with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So they were soon going to see Jesus' physical power to bring a dead man back to life. And you know, that was a picture of what we're going to read in a little bit about his power to bring dead people spiritually back to life. And so we have this aspect here of of Christ doing what his Father does, but we also see the aspect of life. Life. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom we will. And we're going to consider this in a few more moments, the power of Jesus to give spiritual life to dead hearts that will bring eternal life. We're going we're to see that as we move into the second point of our, of our message. But we also see here in this first part, the aspect of judgment. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Whoa. Now, let's remember that. Sometimes we think of Jesus as, you know, the, the guy in sandals, you know, kind of the, maybe the, kind of the, the hippie Jew guy, you know, um, healing people, teaching them, you know, the way, very merciful usually, you know, except for the time with the whip, right? Um, it says here, 
He has given all judgment to the Son. We need to remember that Christ is going to judge. So he, he saves us from that judgment if we trust in Him. But Christ is going to judge, and, and more on that here in our final point. But there's an aspect here of honor as well. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, you dads who have kids who've gotten old enough uh, probably understand, maybe you've experienced this, that, that you take pride when your kids excel. Maybe, maybe you've been at a, a game and you watch your daughter out there on the basketball court or the volleyball court, and, and you just, you well up with pride when you see her excelling, or maybe you've been at an award ceremony or a graduation where your child has been recognized for their achievements. In a a sense, you you feel more pride than if you were honored, seeing your child honored for their hard work and for their achievements. And so we see this with God the Father being glorified when His Son is honored and and worshiped for His great achievement on the cross. And we read in Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, not of the Son, but of God the Father. He's glorified when Christ is honored. And so Jesus continues here in verse 23, and He says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now, 450 years ago, John Calvin wrote this regarding this text. Muslims and Jews give the God they worship beautiful and magnificent titles. However, we should remember that whenever God's name is separated from Christ, it is nothing more than empty imagination. And that's why we we have to say, as Christians, with respect towards our Jewish and our Muslim friends, you are not worshiping and honoring the true God because you deny His triune nature that His full revelation here reveals, that He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so by denying Jesus according to His own words, they are not honoring Yahweh God. It's an actual rejection of Yahweh God. And this is true only for Jews and Muslims. Of course, it's true for Hindus and, and Buddhists and pantheists, new, new age folks, right? Um, and we've got plenty of those around us. Um, and hedonists and naturalists, people who don't believe in a sovereign loving God. All of them are disrespecting the true God when they reject and refuse to honor His Son. The Father has given His Son the authority to do His works, to give life, to judge the world, and to be honored above all other names. And so Jesus is also the author, and and He is our only hope for salvation. And that's the second point in in our message this morning, salvation, and salvation from death to life, eternal. This is what we see in verse 24 through 26. 
verse 24, which is really kind of the, if there's one verse I want you to key in on, it's this one. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Now this is our only hope for eternal life in in heaven instead of eternal death in hell. And you know, that starts now. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation, right? Uh, it, it's certainly not, not in its fullness. I mean, I'm, I'm saved, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a body that, that is, you know, feeling some pain, feeling some age. Um, crossed the, the Rubicon here of the Big 50 uh, a week or so ago. And, you know, as Indiana Jones said, it's, it's not the age, it's the mileage. And so I feel it. And yet, and yet, what we have here isn't just, isn't just um, uh, uh, physical life, but the, 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 uh, we have a relationship right now with, with God. So we can, we can enjoy uh, uh, a microcosm, a little bit of eternal life right now through this relationship with God that, that when we pass, it will bloom in its fullness into full glory. And the same is true with eternal death. If you don't know Jesus, um, you might try to fill up this hole in your heart with all kinds of stuff. It might be success, might be illicit sex, right? And, and, and you know what? You're never going to find joy. You're, you're going to find happiness that is very temporal, but you're never going to find joy. You're going to find death inside, and, and, and there will be eternal death, eternal separation from God if you don't repent and look to Jesus. So, have you heard Jesus' word? And have you believed in him? He's God's only plan for your salvation. Romans 10 verse 9 echoes these words of Christ. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus continued in verse 25. He says, and when he says, truly, truly, that's the old way of like, listen up, you know, um, wake up. We, we had a great breakfast in our, our little um, our little. Um, um, discipleship class. We, we actually finished it last week during the Sunday school hour, and um, one, one, of the, one of the folks in there had the bright idea, which was actually, I, I found out this morning, a brilliant idea of let's do a breakfast. And it was great. We're eating all this wonderful food. And where's Eddie? My brother Eddie. I just need to make sure he's awake back there. Um, uh, Eddie brought all this bacon, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we ate all this food, and I just need to, Melinda, your job is to keep your dad awake back there. I just told Eddie I was going to call him out this morning if I saw him sleeping. So there he is. All right. I see movement. That's good. So I, now I forget where I was in my notes here. I don't know if that has to do with anything other than listen up, folks. Listen up, Eddie. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is talking here about the spiritually dead hearing Christ's voice and believing. Now, when I first saw this verse, uh, I, honestly, I was a little confused this week. And I love at the beginning of the sermon prep time to read through a passage a number of times and then write out a list of questions I've got, okay? And the big question I had for this week was, whoa, here, 
Verse 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. I'm like, is that some weird kind of maybe Catholic or I don't know what teaching that you get another shot after you die, that, that, that Jesus shows up and preaches the gospel to the dead, and, or he did in the past, and some who had, were dead believed? I mean, what, what, what in the world is he talking about? And I had to kind of read through it a few times, and, and finally I realized, wait a minute, Jesus here is talking about the spiritually dead, not the physically dead here, right? Those who are, have dead souls. And so, he, and, and why, do we, why do we know that? What's the, you know, how do I see that in context here? Because he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. It's right now where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This was present tense, and it continues until now. So Jesus is offering living water to the dead, to the unsaved, to those walking, who are the walking dead, right? Who, who are alive, but their, their souls are, are dead. Their spirits are dead to God. And those who hear His voice will live, He says. His voice. I, I thought of John 10, 27 through 28, which I think Chris thought of this morning. We didn't talk about this, but my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 26, continuing here in John 5, he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This reminds me of John 1, 4, the very introduction here. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, the window to the soul is really the eyes, as Jesus said. And you can just see it sometimes when you're talking to Christians, just light coming out. Not all the time. Sometimes Christians are struggling, you know, or maybe they have like an eye infection um, or something like that. And, and so it might not look that way, but in him is life. And the life, that life in the soul just brings light out of the soul, out of the eyes. And, and, and Jesus has life in himself, and he is the only source of spiritual life. Now, these days, um, we talk a lot about religious tolerance, religious tolerance, okay? And first of all, uh, I'm for it, depending on what you mean by it, okay? Uh, I'm for defending the freedom of religion. And in fact, Christians have always stood in this country for defending the freedom of religion, even for people who are following false religions like Judaism or Islam. Okay, because we understand that if you try to force somebody to uh, follow a certain way, in other words, if by marrying the church and the state, if you can gain social status by following one religion, it's going to just corrupt it. And people are not going to uh, truly follow Christ because of their heart. It's going to be like it is in the Islamic world, where the more you, you profess to be a great Muslim— the, the more, and apologies to any Muslim friends, I've got a number of them, okay? But, but the more you, you profess to follow this, the higher your, your social status. And, 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 and the more you, the, more you um, the, the better job you can get, and probably the more money you'll make, the more power you get, right? Um, and, and frankly, and sadly, in our country, it's like upside down, okay? It's the opposite of that now, uh, at least for Christians. But the point here is that we believe in religious 
freedom, uh, our country was founded on that, and so that has to be for all, because if we try to force anybody into Christianity or exert anything but just true gospel truth, we're going to get a bunch of corrupt Christianity, and that's not what we want, okay? We want people to truly be able to, with their heart, make a profession of faith and follow Jesus, right? We don't want anything to, to come in and, and coerce or, or mess that up. But what we don't do, and what I do not, am not willing to do, is kowtow to what many are wrongly defining as tolerance by saving, saying that all religions have equal merit, or to say that you can't make any exclusive truth claim like Jesus is the only way, right? Frankly, if, if all religions are true, that means none of them are, because Jesus said, I'm the way, and Buddha said some very different things. And Islam teaches that, that Jesus was the greatest prophet, even greater than Muhammad, believe it or not. It, te- it teaches that, but that he was expressly not the Son of God, and that's a lie that was invented by his followers, okay? And so, we can't say all these religions have equal merit and are equally true because we're saying it's a disrespect to everybody. We're saying none of it's true, really true, unless truth doesn't mean truth. But two plus two has to equal four. And, and the day that we kowtow to, let's just say, woke mathematics, and two plus two does not equal four, but whatever the minority thinks it equals is what it equals, we're in big trouble. We have nothing to stand on, okay? So we do not practice tolerance in terms of saying that we can't make an exclusive truth claim. Because if we did, we'd have to deny Christ himself because he made the exclusive truth claim in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He will give you eternal salvation if you repent from sinful self-dependence and trust in him alone. So Jesus is our only hope for salvation, but surprisingly to many, he will be the one who brings judgment. That's our last point this morning, judgment. And and judgment from the tomb to eternal destiny, verse 27 through 29. Verse 27 reads, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. By the way, that that title, the the Son of Man, that that has like, if you've read Daniel, authoritative um, uh, power. It it shows, yes, the humanity of Christ, that title that he he loved to to talk about himself with. But if you you are familiar with Daniel, this is talking about like this this great Messiah figure who would come and have authority over all the earth. And so, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man— Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. This is talking about the final resurrection and judgment. All the marbles here Jesus is talking about. He's talking about 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We read, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, this is awesome news to the Christian. If you keep reading that text in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about our very bodies, 
when, when we die as Christians or when Christ comes back, at that point when Christ returns, right, and, and the dead are raised, those who have died in Christ, whether they were buried at sea or they've decomposed in the ground outside or been cremated, they will, they will be raised into a, pa- a lightness of themselves that will be recognized by their friends and, and loved ones, but a resurrection body patterned after Christ. So we're talking about the perfect body, you know, not only no more backache, but some pretty incredible, for lack of a better word, I think, interstellar capabilities, all right? And I look forward to that, and I hope you do too. But if you don't know Christ, this is going to be a horrific event. Now, it talks about the last trumpet. Um, my daughter, Christine, I'm sorry, Christine, I'm really picking on you in this sermon, but you know I love you. And she has learned this last year. I should actually not use the past tense, but the present tense for that verb. She is learning this year to play the trumpet. And my daughter, Christine, could wake me up with her trumpet if she wanted to, very easily. But if she took her trumpet next door to the cemetery, she would not be able to awake the dead. Only the authority of Christ can awaken the dead, the last trumpet. And notice here, back to our text here, notice here that he says, an hour is coming, Jesus says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the voice of Jesus, the Son of Man. He is the one that will call the dead to rise. Um, When my daughter is holding that trumpet to her lips, she has some authority, meaning she can affect things within the house, okay? When Jesus calls the dead to life, um, that is the ultimate authority, the power to bring all of the dead of humanity back to life. That's what we're talking about here. And so, verse 29, Jesus says and clarifies, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I I want to clarify here a little bit because we always need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. You could read this, you could read these words, and you could think, man, that almost sounds like a works salvation, right? Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Does this mean, well, if my good works outweigh my evil works, um, I will end up in that category? Well, no, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It even says there is none who does good. No, not even one. Now, what that, that doesn't mean that there's no one who does altruistic things. In fact, I have non-believing friends who do a lot of kind things, all right? Things that are categorically that we would consider good. But they're not done for the glory of God, so they fall short, right? And we need to remember that God is holy, and we have a glass of water here. Um, Thank you, kind soul, who put this here. I couldn't take that sip if there were even a few drops of poison in this glass, right? Well, let me tell you, my sin is, is more than just a few drops of poison in this glass. If this was half poison, half water, would you drink it? You understand? God is holy. He can't tolerate um, wickedness and, and the evilness of our hearts. 
And so we need to be clean, cleansed. And that's what Christ did on the cross. And, and so God, if, if through faith, God gives us His righteousness and, and takes our sin from us. And so Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But it doesn't end there. We often quote those two verses, but the next verse says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So this is based on faith, but a faith that produces fruit. Real faith produces fruit. It produces good works. We're clothed in His righteousness, but when we have a new heart, that is our chief inclination. And so the words of Jesus are are true. Those who have done good, and they're consistent with the words of Paul in Romans, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now note that Jesus says that all who are in the tombs will be resurrected. So those who have done good through faith in Christ, the resurrection of life, those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment, and both of these parties have an eternal destiny. And there's some mystery here, but the idea here is that we have resurrected bodies for either eternal life or eternal damnation. Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. That's your right. Well, actually, I should do this. That's his right. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are the words of Christ. Now, as we land the plane, I I would like for us to circle back to verse 24. And the, the whole point, the theme is from death to life. You are either dead in your sins or you are alive in Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, this is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus saves. And and it's not, I was drowning in my sin, but I saw that life preserver, and I reached out, and I saved myself, or I participated in it. It's no, I, it's not, I, I needed to kind of get my act together, and I did, and I decided to, you know, kind of turn that ship, and, and now I'm on the right path, you know, following Jesus through my own strength. That's not it. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, I was lost. I was dead in my sins. And he saved me. He rescued me. 
I was dead in the bottom of the pool, and he reached and grabbed me, and his spirit breathed in me new life, right? And, and what were the first, what was the first thought? What, was, what were the first words? Save me. <laughs> um, my, the first words were, thank you, Jesus, right? I trust in you. He brought me from death to life. Now, if you'd allow me to speak in your heart, and Eddie, you still awake back there? I, his head's down. Is he awake, Melinda? All right, Eddie, um, Eddie asked me this morning if I was going to uh, get him back, and I was like, I, for what? <laughs> See, I told you 50, right? Uh, and he says, last Sunday. I'm like, last Sunday, last Sunday. And then suddenly I remembered, oh yeah, he pied me at the church picnic. And I've never seen such, um, I mean, he was like licking his chops, and I've never seen wild eyes like that in Eddie before. I mean, there was a little jig before of, of glee, but like, and as he, before he smashed that pie, you know, up into my nostrils. And Eddie, I had forgiven, or I'd, for, I'd forgiven and forgotten, and I've still forgiven, but you reminded me. And uh, so therefore, thank you, I'm, I'm picking on you a little bit, with great love. I love this man. He walks in faith. But I'd like to talk to you, Eddie, and everyone here, uh, personally, for a moment about this, okay? Uh, to all generations. Um, and Eddie, I'll get to yours in a minute. Uh, young people, okay? Maybe, by the way, I wasn't planning any of the Eddie stuff, but I love this guy a lot. This is what happens when, when I love you a lot, you know? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> no one's going to talk to me anymore. But young people, maybe, maybe you are tempted in your youth, okay? And I, I say young people, you know, Christine, your age, um, you know, five, six, you could be young, or, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're now hitting your 20s, and you're still young. You consider yourself young. You may be tempted to find your, your meaning and your excitement, even, apart from Jesus. I mean, you got all kinds of temptations being thrown at you the older you get from our culture. And, and that forbidden fruit can sometimes look really good and, and like satisfying, like this is going to do it forever. And you know what? It, it's bitter. And sometimes the consequences um, can be hard and long-lasting. And you may think, well, you know what? I'm going to enjoy that forbidden fruit now, and I can get my act together later. I'll get right with God later. I, I just want to remind you, the wages of sin is death. And you don't know that you have later. Your, your appointment to meet your maker could be today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So today, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're five or, or 20, today is the day of salvation, and Jesus will bring you from death to life if you trust Him with all your heart. And, and, and maybe you have already. But man, there's temptation. Let me encourage you to, to live in Him. Keep looking to Him. Now let me talk to folks who are a little bit older, okay? We'll call this midlife, like me. Actually, um, I'll pick on Denise for a minute. I think a year ago, uh, I said something about a midlife crisis, something about motorcycles and a midlife crisis or something. And she said, you know, midlife was when he turned 40. That was like 10 years ago. I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that reminder, Denise. Well, folks, in midlife, but let's extend it a little bit. So maybe, you know, you consider yourself still in the middle of life, like I kind of do, although I'm not sure. Maybe you're really busy at this point in your life. 
you know, you're mid-career, and you're just, right now, you're making it week to week, paycheck to paycheck, trying to raise your kids right, trying to keep food on the table, and that's hard to do these days. Harder. We're blessed, but man, food's gotten expensive here. Um, It's time to start gardening, folks. It's hard to do in Florida, though. But we're trying to keep food on the table, and, and we're trying to figure out how to get our kids through college, maybe. Well, maybe you have become spiritually distracted. And it could be by a lot of things. Maybe you're thinking more about climbing the ladder at work. Well, let me encourage you to to keep your minds, and I'm talking to those who are Christians here, keep your minds stayed on Jesus. Make sure that you're listening to the Word of Christ. You need to read His Word daily. You need to keep looking to him. And you know what? You need to remember that, that whatever is filling your mind right now, whether it's materialism sometimes, or success, or just trying to get these kids trained right, you know, and, and you know, do all their sports and all that stuff, you have the opportunity now to impact people, your kids, but others, your colleagues, your family, for eternity. What you do say or don't say has potential impact on people's destinations for eternity. Now, make no mistake, salvation belongs to God. He is sovereign. No, no one can even come to Him. You remember what I said about being dead in the bottom of the swimming pool? Unless the Holy Spirit breathes new life, right? But God has chosen to use His people's speaking and proclaiming the gospel to be the mechanism for, for bringing life into lost, dead hearts and souls. And so, what you do and what you say has an impact in a lot of lives. Maybe, maybe a wider circle than you realize for eternity. And maybe you think, man, I, I can't afford to lose some of the, the credibility I might have at work. Eternity. All right. I'm going to talk to the older folks now. Um, I'm not going to categorize you or name anybody here. Um, but maybe you're feeling, <laughs> did I miss something? Too late. <laughs> All right. Maybe you've experienced some, a little more pain than others here. Now, may, maybe not. Maybe you got your feet up, you know, and you're cruising, and, and it's awesome. You know, kids are all the house. You get to see your grandkids now and then. But, um, you know, you are, but you get to give them back. And so you're cruising. But, you know, <laughs> that won't last forever. Um, and that won't bring real life either. And that's not even the life. No, nothing wrong with a good vacation. I believe in those. But you got to come back and, and, and get your hand back to the plow. You know, we need you. We, we need your wisdom. You know, Eddie, see I'm calling you out now. We need your wisdom. He had, this man has some wisdom. And he's investing that. But we, we need all of you to, to, to invest your wisdom in, in younger generations. But maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you are discouraged by pain. Maybe some of you are watching online because you can't even be here because of pain you're experiencing. And and I I say this with um, a heart of of love for you, because God's allowed in His sovereignty for the last couple months me to experience some pain. And uh, and it isn't easy. And sometimes uh, we can struggle for hope when we're dealing with serious pain. Maybe you're thinking about what lies ahead and you just see decline. I just want to remind you of the words of Christ 
that full healing awaits. And if you are in Jesus, when you cross the river of death, Jesus and glory and a glorified body that I've already talked about awaits. That is your future. Full healing awaits. I, I pray. We, we pray every Sunday. We pray throughout the week for our prayer list. And we pray that you, if you're struggling with pain, we pray for healing before that. We do. And God sometimes mercifully grants that, and often He grants that. But even if not, full healing awaits because He will bring you from death to life. C.S. Lewis wrote a a book or a, a series of books that has endured for many generations called The Chronicles of Narnia. Many of us have, have read them, maybe to our children, maybe to our grandchildren. Maybe your mother or your grandmother read it to you. And at the end of the final book, The Last Battle, Peter, Edmund, and Lucy all learn from Aslan that in their physical lives in England, they had actually died in a train wreck. So all this Narnia stuff, all these adventures they've had were, were kind, of, <laughs> kind of a dreamish thing, you know, right after they had died. And then we read this, and as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about worshiping you today and remembering you today and your Son on this All Generations Sunday, we want to thank you for his words, and we thank you for his work on the cross so we may live. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning whose spirit inside is dead, they don't have a relationship with you. They may be a, a wonderful neighbor, a wonderful mother, or father, or child, but they don't have a relationship with you. Lord, we pray that they would hear your voice, the voice of Christ, calling, calling them to come and live, and that today they would repent and look to him, uh, Christ, in, in faith. And Lord, for those who've been walking with, with Christ for some time, I pray that today they would hear their Savior calling and continue to follow him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you